Morning all. This morning's reading comes from Philippians chapter 2 and we're reading from verses 1 through to 11. So I'll just give you a chance to find that. Okay. And may God's words not just be head knowledge but be something that we live every single day. Philippians chapter 2, reading verses 1 through to 11. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if in any comfort from his love, if in any common sharing in the spirit, if in any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value, your, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Thanks, Mel. Good morning, everybody. Beautiful words from God, aren't they? What a magnificent passage of Scripture, as all of Scripture is. That was the first reading. The second reading, while I'm fiddling around here, uh, is uh, Ruth chapter 4. So please open up to Ruth chapter 4. I'd like to read that to us this morning. The last chapter of a magnificent book that we've been enjoying. I know if you haven't, I have anyway, so <laughs> enjoying going through this series. So let's read Ruth chapter 4. I'm just going to get down to, to verse, uh, verse 17. You can read the genealogy yourself afterwards. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned. So just as that, the, the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took 10 of the elders of the town and said, sit here. And they did so. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me, so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Then Boaz said, on the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. 
At this, the guardian redeemer said, then I cannot redeem it because I might be in danger of, it might be in danger of my own estate. You redeem it yourself, I cannot do it. Now, in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption of a, and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalising transactions in Israel. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself. And he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today you are witnesses that I have brought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion and Malion. Maon, Malon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today, you are witnesses. Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman. May your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. Then he made love to her. The Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. The woman said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. What an amazing story. Let's pray to an amazing God who's the author of his word. Father, we thank you for this amazing word. It's more precious than I think we can really comprehend or understand. And we, <clears throat> Lord, we pray that in our very <clears throat> simple and finite minds would you please illumine us would you just please touch us and open our eyes that we might be really excited about what you say to us this morning and and uh, here lord and 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 father we are we thank you for that we thank you that we are excited we are blessed by your word and how your holy spirit moves amongst us and touches us and we're asking you do the same thing again as we open up this final chapter that you might speak and that we might listen and know how it applies to us each one and even indeed as a church, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I just want to apologise because um, I'm not making excuses, but it has been a bit of a hectic weekend for us. And, um, and I never got around to actually sending the PowerPoint. I've done it, but I never sent it here. So that's all we've got. So I'm afraid you're just going to have to kind of look and listen and, at me probably. I'm sorry about that, but there you go. Proposing to Rosemary wasn't as hard as I thought it would be. I've got Rosemary's permission. This is the last time probably you'll ever hear me mention Rosemary in sermons, by the way. No, it's probably not. It wasn't as hard as I thought it would be. Because, it was, because to us, it just seemed to come so naturally. It was just a natural progression for us. 
And some of you will be disappointed in this, but there was no uh, romantic one-knee proposal after a moonlit white walk on the beach or, you know, anything like that. I don't think that even entered my mind back then. <laughs> but it's funny how it does now. <laughs> we do that. But it was as natural. It was just a natural conversational piece that we had after we'd been out somewhere. And I don't know, we just seemed to click. And I just said to Rose one day, I said, when do you reckon we ought to get married? Didn't I say that, sweetheart? We won't tell them where we were when we said that. It was in the panel van. No, I won't say that. That was pretty natural. It was fairly easy. However, here's another story. What I didn't find very easy, what, and honestly, what I didn't find very natural was asking her dad. You know a dad, don't you? Roy Conwell. When I finally realised that Rosemary did say yes to my proposal... I've got to tell you, I, I could not relax until I had phoned and asked her dad if I could meet him because I had something important I needed to say. It kind of hit me. And he must have picked up something urgent in my voice because this was really weird. He basically came over the very day that I made that phone call. He came over to our place. I was living with a couple other guys from Ashgrove Baptist Church back then out of Denogra and he, he came over almost immediately. And, uh, well, as you can guess, he said, no. <laughs> Just want to make sure you're awake. Only joking, he didn't say no, but he was keen. He was keen that I sell my Sandman panel van that Rose and I used to drive around in. Some of you wouldn't even know what that is. Most of you probably do. It was a fantastic car. We loved it, didn't we, Rose? But he... It was a good car. It was a good car. It was a, my car, our car. But he thought, it was, he thought it would be wise to sell it, put the money in the bank, wait for a deposit, put on a block of land, which we did. We followed his wise counsel. But I tell you, I, can't, I, I, I can remember not being settled until I met with Roy to obtain his approval and his blessing for his daughter's hand in marriage. It's just how it was. And so when we look at, and when we, as we looked at last week, uh, Ruth chapter 3, and you remember that, that uh, when Ruth came back and, and she reported to her mother-in-law all that had been happening to her, all that happened, and you know the story, I won't go over it again, but you can read it later, but, but she, she, she came and told uh, Naomi all that happened between her and Boaz, and, and, and Naomi guessed right away about what Boaz was going to do next, and and uh, she says this in verse 18 of chapter 3. She says, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens. For the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. Isn't that an interesting verse? The man will not rest until the matter is settled today. It's almost as if Naomi had a very close, um, familiar knowledge about her, her relative Boaz. She knew this bloke. She knew what he would do. She knew something about his character. And something about his character is revealed in, in her answer here. And for Ruth, well, she didn't need to do anything else. She just needed to wait now because it's certain that Boaz won't settle until he's brought this whole question of marriage to Ruth to its completion. And it was just wonderful that, that Naomi was able to give that counsel to Ruth. He won't rest until he's finished what he's come to do, what, what needs to happen, until he brings it to completion. Kind of reminds me of this other magnificent verse that Paul spoke about regarding you and I in Christ. When he says in Philippians 
being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. If you're like me, you'll go, oh Lord, I thank you for that verse. I just wipe my brow, I have a big sigh because I know you've got a heck of a lot of work to do in my life, in me as a person. We're still a work in progress. Lord, thank you, there's still hope because you will bring your work to completion. I can't, but I'm here for you. I'm in your hands. You do your work in me, Lord. And that's what we need to pray because we can't. We're hopeless. But he's hopeful. He gives us hope because he does what he says he does. And in this next chapter, it becomes very clear that, that Boaz, this kinsman redeemer, conducted himself and his affairs by what I would call, I've got four headings here, by what I call the law of love rather than the law of self-centeredness or self-interest. He conducted himself in the law of love rather than the law of self-interest. So it's not surprising then to see Boaz at the city gate in this chapter. Traditionally, this, is where the, this was the place you know, where people would gather to meet each other for conversation. It was a place where business transactions took place. It was a place where lawsuits were, were settled. It was a place where the elders of the society met. Have a look at Proverbs chapter 31 and verse 23. Just jot that down because it speaks about that very thing. Proverbs 31, 23. And it was possible, it was possible that Boaz could have been one of those elders. And in verse 1, firstly, in verse 1 and 2, a meeting is arranged. That's the first point. A meeting is arranged with his relative, this relative, this, this kinsman redeemer, nearer than he was to the situation of Naomi and Ruth. He therefore has the first option to act as the leveret, as we talked about last, last week, whereby he is ob obliged to marry the dead relative's widow, being Ruth, in order to produce a son to preserve the dead man's name, Malion, and, and a heritage from being blotted out from Israel, Deuteronomy 25 verse 6. Mentioned this last week. He's also to act as a redeemer for any property that was sold by the family member who was afflicted by poverty. That's what this kinsman redeemer was obligated to do. And so Boaz assembles 10 of the elders to act as witnesses, to the proposal that he was about to make. So he's doing everything right. He's doing everything well. He's ethical. He's an honourable man, this guy Boaz. You know, when you think about it, he could have taken shortcuts. He didn't have to go down that track. He could have done things quite differently if he wanted to. I mean, he could have bypassed the requirements of the law. He could have taken shortcuts, as I said. He, not to have bothered in, in locating this other relative. What's his name? We don't know. His name's never mentioned. I wonder if Boaz knew his name. I'm sure he did. But why bother going through all this stuff? Or calling the elders? Why bother calling the elders to, to a meeting? Why go through the hassle? Do you ever feel like that at times? You know there's a process to go through. You know there's the right thing to do. But sometimes you think in our own fallen natures ah, pff, blow it let's just do it this way why bother why hassle yourself and others will say that to you as well you know the right thing to do nah, don't worry about that just do it like this but Boaz chose not to 
because he was an honorable man. We can learn a lot from Boaz because we live in a world that I don't think so different from the world that he lived in. A world that's still infected by sin and self-interest. Selfish ambition. Looking out for number one. And treading over the top of anybody who gets in the way. Who gets in my way. However, but the word of God teaches a very different life and work ethic, does it not? We read this just before, Mel read it to us before. Paul spoke about this very thing. Look at these verses, Philippians 2, verse 3 to 5. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Do nothing. Hey, let these words sink into us. Lord, we need to hear this. I need to hear this. But consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Who does this remind you of? Well, Paul says it in verse 5. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. There it is. If we only had his attitude, if that attitude of Christ was only displayed every time, Lord, be you in me, through me. You know, a simple and effective question to ask yourself in, the, in, in, in daily business affairs of your life is, what do I see Jesus doing in this situation? This saviour, this redeemer, what do I see him doing? In this very situation I find myself in. What is his already revealed will in the scriptures? What does he say about this? As it's already revealed, if it's there. Specifically or in other ways. What's his revealed attitude? What, what's, what's this response? What would be his response to that person or to the circumstance? Remember a long time ago I used to get a wristband? Remember the wristband? Some of you, who's got one? I, I, don't, don't think I've ever got one. The WWJD, what would Jesus do? Wristband. And God's saying to you and me this morning, your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ, of Christ Jesus. You know, and I believe that Boaz had an attitude like Jesus. He was influenced in his decisions and in his daily life by the law of love rather than by the law of self-interest. Secondly, in verses 3 to 5, we see that a, a proposal is presented. What a proposal this is. I, I love this. I, I don't know about you, but I, but I can't help but smile at the brilliant way that Boaz does this. In fact, one writer calls this the Boaz masterstroke. And you can see why. Look at these verses. Verse 3. Then he said to the kinsman redeemer, Naomi who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land belonged to our brother Elimelech. Now, this is the first time in this we've ever heard of any land that's, belonging, that, that, that's being sold. No details are given uh, before, only that it belonged to Naomi's late husband, Elimelech, who had died in Moab. So Boaz continues with this proposal to this other kinsman redeemer, who is obligated in the first instance under the law to redeem this land verse 4 look at it i thought i should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people 
If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me, so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. And so this proposal is given. And up until this point, that the proposal sounds fair. It probably sounds very attractive to this other kids but redeemer, to this other guy. He knows it belongs to Naomi, who is well advanced in years, well beyond childbearing, and therefore a leveret marriage to her would not be expected. So it sounds like he's got a good deal here, just the land. So the land deal is, is, is a, has, has potential to suit his own interests. I can imagine, not a problem, he says. Sounds good to me. He says, I will redeem it. Oh, just one other thing. By the way, says Boaz, just one other little matter I need to bring to your attention as he lines up for his masterstroke. Verse 5, then Boaz said, on the day you buy the land from Naomi and from Ruth, the Moabitess, you acquire the dead man's widow in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. And I don't know about you, but I can imagine up to this point, this kind of smile of self-contentment. This guy's just having a drink. Yeah, this sounds really good to me. And he's smiling. He's very contented about the whole thing. Until he hears this. And then that smile suddenly changes to a confused frown. You know one of those upside-down smiles? Goes from this to this sort of thing. And then thirdly, in verses 6 to 8, we have a situation where the true cost is counted and it's declined. True cost is now counted, but it's declined. Ruth 4, 6 to 8. At this, the kinsman redeemer said, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it for yourself. I cannot do it. And then in verse 7, you'll notice it's in brackets because the writer or the narrator of this story now explains a custom that was in Israel. It's now obsolete, hence, hence the brackets of this explanation. So verse 7 says this, Now in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalising transactions in Israel. And then you see that happening here in verse 8. Verse 8, so the kinsman redeemer said to Boaz, you buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. This was now a very different picture for this unnamed kinsman redeemer. The price of redemption for him was too high, and he would not do it. Too high. The price is too much. Gets you thinking, doesn't it? The price of redemption was too high. I can't do it. Can you imagine for a moment? What if the price of our redemption from sin was too high? Where would you and I be today if the cross of Christ had been far too costly? And the father said, I can't do this. I'm not going to put my son whom I love through this degradation, through this humiliation, through this agony, through this horror. I can't do it. 
What if Jesus had said these words? Father, let this cup pass from me. Nothing else said. What if he just said that? I can't put my son through this. But we know, don't we? We know that Jesus, God, the Father, was willing. The Son was willing to pay in full with his own blood the cost of our redemption. Because that was the price that was required. Nothing else. That was the price. And we have a redeemer in Jesus who was not only prepared to do it, not only had the means to pay the price, but he was willing, willing out of his love for you and me to go through that agony that you and I could not begin to comprehend. And we say, thank you, Jesus. I I, I think it's why we have eternity. Do you know why God's given us eternal life? You know that, don't you? You know why we have eternal life? It's because it's going to take that long for you and I to stand in his presence and say, Lord, thank you for what you've done for me. Occurred to me one day, Lord, thank you for eternity because it will take that long for us to give you all the glory and all the praise and all the thankfulness for what you've done for me. In fact, Lord, not sure if eternity will be long enough. Sorry. For this kinsman redeemed, this unnamed one, there was far too much to lose and to gain and he declines the offer. Which is what Boaz was hoping for all along. (coughs) There's no doubt that Boaz loved Ruth for who she was. And he wanted to marry her for that very reason. And some Bible scholars believe that this other guy could have already been married. I don't know. They could, could have been married to take on another wife. And you know, having other children to her could, could indeed have complicated matters for his existing family and estate. Well, you know, that sounds fair enough, but it's still pretty weak. The important implication for this kinsman redeemer was that the leveret marriage to Ruth. That was the implication. It was this leveret marriage to Ruth. That was the implication. And then the firstborn son would become the rightful owner. Not him. Not this kinsman redeemer. The property and everything else wouldn't go to him. The inheritance wasn't his. It would go to her firstborn son. He would become the rightful owner of the dead man's property. And so it was all too costly. And it simply did not serve his own self-interests. And the true matter, the truth of the matter is, it's, it's costly to be a kinsman redeemer. Because it involves personal sacrifice. It involves giving up your own position of comfort and security for the sake of rescuing or serving someone else. You know, and, and it might be a bit different today, but, but we see examples of this kind of spirit, I guess, today. We see it today. When, you know, when a parent, for example, will give up one of their kidneys for their child, or a grandparent will give up their kidneys for a grandchild who may otherwise die without that transplant. And and sometimes the parent or the grandparent will not even think twice, they just do it. 
You know, and recently in some of the tragedies we've seen, natural disasters, there are people putting their own lives at risk, you know, digging in earthquake ruins and mudslides, sometimes with their own bare hands to save that loved one. You know, and even those that they don't know, that, that spirit driven by the law of love rather than by the law of, of self-interest or of self-preservation. And we marvel at these heroic expressions of love in action when we get to hear about these things. You know, and again, the gospel message is likewise a message of, of the Redeemer who was so driven by the law of love rather than by the law of self-interest. He gave up his position in glory. Read Philippians 2 again. That beautiful hymn comes to mind, out of the ivory palaces into a world of woe. You remember that? Fancy giving up a position like that to come into this world? Jesus did that. He gave up his position for us to come to the ruins of this world to rescue you and me who were trapped and buried in our sin and condemnation and there's no escape. You know, and the world also sees that the world also sees and yet fails to comprehend the miracles of saved lives and of those who are being rescued from the rubble and the broken and hopeless existence that they were once in, that you and I were once in. And we've been found, we've been rescued by this one who would not give up until he found you. And Boaz was prepared to make that sacrifice of putting himself out for someone else. Like the Lord Jesus, he was driven by the law of love rather than by the law of self-interest. Verses Number four, verses nine and ten, we have the cost is counted and accepted. The cost was counted back there and rejected, but now the cost is counted and accepted by Boaz. Look at verses 9 and 10. Then Boaz announced to the elders and to the people, Today you are witnesses that I have brought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilian and Malon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabitess, Malon's widow, as my wife in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from the town records. Today you are witnesses. And I believe that Boaz took Ruth to be his wife that day. And when he did, it was a day of great celebration. Do you get that? Look at it from verse 11 onwards. It clearly indicates it was a great day. The elders and other people, they entered into this celebration. And then the elders also there in verses 11 and 12, they pronounce what they call a, a bridal benediction of blessing over this couple. They pronounce a benediction of fertility over Ruth and over Boaz, over this couple. And I want you to notice there's something significant here, just to mention this quickly. Significantly, Rachel and Leah are mentioned, who are, as we know, are the wives of Jacob who between them, understand Rachel and, and Leah, between them and the other two handmaidens that were theirs, they produced the 12 tribes of Israel. And it's also interesting to remember that, that Rachel, that, uh, perhaps why, that's why she's mentioned before Leah, though Leah was the older one, but Jacob loved Rachel. And it was Rachel who was barren for a time, correct? And it's interesting to note that Ruth was also barren. For 10 years in Moab. Look back at chapter 1. So we're there for 10 years. No children, no offspring were ever produced. 
And now look, then Ruth, who was barren for those 10 years or so in Moab, she now conceives. And some think it was probably on her honeymoon. <laughs> and she gave birth to a son, Obed, which means servant or worshipper. And the women of Bethlehem in verses 14 and 15, then they pronounce also a blessing over Naomi, who has now got a grandson to care for her in her old age. And, but more than that, that Boaz and Ruth became known as the ancestors of David and, of course, ultimately of Jesus Christ, our supreme kinsman, redeemer. Fantastic book. Anything that God writes is fantastic. And through it all, through this whole series, I hope you've seen that and, and still see it, you know, in, in other ways too. But through it all is seen the sovereign, providential hand of God who works continually, despite, in spite, regardless of any circumstance that you could be in. God's at work in the lives who put their trust in him and are also driven, empowered and equipped by the law of love rather than the law of self-interest. And a question I'd just like us to ponder is simply that, what law, by what law will we, by what law will you choose to live by as we continue to press into 2018? Focus Sunday, next Sunday. What law will you choose to live by? I'd like to finish. I was tossing up whether to read this or not, but someone lent me a book called Real Valor. And it's the story of Boaz, actually, by Steve Farrer. It's probably a men's series, but I'd like to read you in it. Women, don't switch off. I'd like to finish by reading this particular uh, script here. He has some interesting things, which was good to finish his series. The family line of Boaz became the greatest family in the history of Israel and of all peoples and of all time. What a man Boaz was and what a family he had. You may be reading this and wishing that you had such an honourable family. Perhaps you look back over your family and hang your head in shame. Don't be too quick to regret your roots. Who knows? The Lord may have plans for your family that are beyond your wildest dreams. We are told in Ruth chapter 4 verse 21 that the father of Boaz was Salmon. We don't know much about Salmon. I'm not sure even that's how you pronounce his name. I would have said Salmon. But it's Salmon. And let me read again. We don't know much about Salmon, but what we do know from Matthew 1.5 is that he and his wife uh, married and were blessed with a little boy named Boaz. Do you know the name of the woman who married Salmon and bore a son named Boaz? Her name was Rahab. She was a prostitute in Jericho who protected the two spies sent out by Joshua to spy out the land. She too became wonderfully converted and followed the, God, the Lord God of Israel. What a wretched and sordid background she had. But she met a great saviour who created the worlds and forgave sinners. He cleaned up her heart and her life and gave her a godly husband. And they produced a godly man who was a rock in an unstable time, in an unstable land. The Lord reaches down and saves sinners. And then he grows them 
in grace and in his word. It doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done. It doesn't matter where your family is from or what shame is in your generational past. The Lord Jesus Christ, our great saviour, our great redeemer is the great Boaz. And if you will turn to him in your moment of need, he will be your redeemer, your great redeemer forever and a future generations yet to be born in your family line. And the challenge to the men, I guess, is a Boaz man doesn't hesitate to take necessary first steps. There you go, folks. Bless you. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you and we pray that you help us to continue to digest. Help me. Help us all to digest your word, to ponder it, to... Let it whirl around in our hearts and our minds. And as it whirls around, Lord, let it just clean out all the junk that we sometimes accumulate in our minds and in our hearts. Let us be so saturated with your word that there's no room for any other junk in our lives. Help us to be filled with that spirit that Boaz was and that Ruth was, Lord. These honourable people, ordinary people, and yet made extraordinary because of the indwelling and the power of the, of the Spirit of God that, that did that work in their lives, Lord. And Father, we just marvel at the people that you choose to use, the people that are in your lineage, Lord, in your genealogy. And we know that there is so much hope for us, any of us, no matter what our background is, as we turn our eyes upon you. We become a new creation, Lord. That's what you've promised. If anyone be in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. And so we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for your love. Thank you for your power to change lives. And we thank you for your equipping, Lord Jesus, equipping us to be the people of God that you want us to be. Do it, Lord, in this church. Do it here at SDBC. Do it in our families. Do it in our marriages, Lord. And we pray these things in your mighty, unspeakable, amazing name. And everybody said, Amen. Thank you. Bless you.